Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa. It's yet another show for May, sometime right before summer begins, when the leaves have all changed, the pollen has filled the air, and yet somehow no one is on vacation. In order to think about better thoughts, let's bring in one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? You're right about the pollen, though you missed the part about the black flies. I was was out mowing the lawn today, and it's one of these things where I was a very slow-moving buffet. <laughs> sort of a, oh boy nice to be indoors and coughing up the yellow crap that i breathed in while i was out there what is it that calvin and Hobbes? calvin once said about nature that's the problem with it it's always trying to bite sting or ooze something on you this is very true in <laughs> i didn't understand that when you look at the state motto live free or die the die is really an important part of it it comes from bugs there we go. <laughs> All right, Jim, as we've uh, done in the last couple of shows, let's start our show off with a round of self-congratulations. Disney has confirmed the location of the Mission Space restaurant in Epcot. Remember, this is the futuristic looking restaurant that we think is going to be sort of a play test for the Star Wars Hotel. Disney has confirmed now that this restaurant is going to be between Mission Space and Test Track on an unused and as of yet unbuilt expansion pad so uh no. nothing nothing that we didn't know there but disney finally confirms it okay well just to clarify though that i was the one who initially said it was going to be on the other side you were the one who got it right so let's make sure that we're honoring you know, where's the team effort here okay we're right well, together we we're wrong together in this case let's go with where we were right together okay disney hasn't said anything else about the restaurant such as what kind of food it's going to serve how many people it's going to hold or when it's going to open it's not going to open next year because it takes Disney longer than that to come up with a concept and then build the attraction. Uh, my guess is here 2020, 2021. Yeah, I'm hearing 2020 coming out of the flavor kitchen, the folks who do the tests of the food, that sort of thing. They've been having conversations with the folks over at the land. Uh, do you remember how they have that whole section that talks about hydroponic gardening and how one would garden in space mm -hmm. and that sort of thing? The salads, at the very least, of this thing are going to feature greens from there. They're going to play up that aspect that a lot of this stuff is going to be grown in the style as if it were harvested from space. Also, I guess there's a lot of work going on now about presentation. This is kind of a spin on the Living Seas Coral Cafe. Oh, yeah. Come there for the view. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. Good point. So it'll be it'll be the space version of, of Coral Reef. You mentioned the living uh, with the land boat ride. And I was on it a couple of days ago. There mm -hmm. is a section towards the end of the greenhouse where they mentioned that they're working with NASA on how to grow food in space. So that is sort of a direct translation of the things that are going on in the land over in the new Mission Space restaurant. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of these things where it's like, this is the connective tissue, or at least that's what the, what they're talking about. Yeah. Did I hear that it's Patina Group that's going to run the restaurant? I'm actually trying to get that confirmed at this point. All right, fair enough. In, uh, in other news, James, it was a disco inferno in the, in the Magic Kingdom last Friday. Apparently during the Festival of Fantasy Parade, the Maleficent Dragon actually caught on fire, which is both ironic and a little bit funny. And I can say that because no one got hurt. Thank goodness. Jim, what, what happened here? This has been part of the parade since 2014, and it's gone through the park over 1,700 times at this point without a single thing going wrong. And I've talked with a couple of folks in the parade barn, and basically what they told me 
was that the fire effect for this thing is powered with, mm -hmm. pro with propane, which is a very low pressure gas. And the way the system is built is that in the event that there's a, a disconnection or that sort of thing, it's just supposed to vent out through the head of the dragon. What they hadn't anticipated was that the horns would actually hold a good deal of propane. Oh, right, because it'll uh, it's lighter than air, it'll, it'll rise. Yes, so in hindsight, the propane pooled inside of the horns, and when the fire effect kicked off the very next time, basically the head caught on fire. All right. Now, everything worked the way it was supposed to. The driver was able to stop the vehicle, the managers that were with the parade were able to go into the shops around Liberty Square and grab multiple fire extinguishers. So before even Reedy Creek got on site, they were mm -hmm. able to knock down this fire. This float is 52 feet long if you count the tail. So they were able to do basically the dragon equivalent of a three-point turn. I guess it's the balloon float with Minnie and Mickey backed up. They rolled the now crispy dragon Outback. Mm -hmm. Right now, they're trying to determine what it exactly went wrong. And, and what complicates this is that in 2017, as part of uh, Euro Disneyland's uh, 25th anniversary, they launched their own Disney Stars Parade, which mm -hmm. also features this dragon. Oh, really? Yeah, they kind of made a quick call out like they're like, hey, you maybe want to hold off on doing the fire effect until we figure out what went wrong here. It This effect had worked for years, a good three or four years, and like I said, 1700, rolling through the Magic Kingdom with a, without an issue. So they definitely want to get it back out there because they consider this the big wow of the parade. Yeah, it's an impressive effect. Yeah, the challenge now is like, okay, what did we do wrong? And the belief right now is that the design issue is that they really should have had more holes in the horns in the top of the head to vent the propane, that there probably would have been much less damage to the head if that had happened. So it, if it returns to the park and have to stress that's, you know, right now, that's definitely, it's definitely an if that the parade float itself was not really all that damaged, but this thing was so well built that mm -hmm. it continued to do its animation cycle while it was on fire. I mean, you know, there, there's a whole thing of the way the head moves that was supposed to sell that this thing is alive. And that yeah. was the one moment where it kind of got dangerous because, it, you see, the fire effect is only supposed to kick on when the dragon's head is at its full height, when it's at 25 feet up. And in fact, the driver is supposed to be able to control it and limit it to only those points along the parade route where there's sort of a straight shot. They never do the fire effect on a curve or that sort of thing when the guests can be that much closer. But in this case, it was burning and the head was coming down and moving around and it was like, eh. But yeah, as of right now, what they're doing is sort of a make good is that in that sequence of the parade, they've got that gazebo that they trot out every year at Halloween and Easter. And so Prince Philip and... Sleeping Beauty are, are riding on that because that's the other problem is that if you remember the sequence in the parade, you, you've got Flora, Fauna, Merriweather, you've got Ravens, you've got Stilt Walkers. There were a lot of parts of this parade that supported the dragon. And so 
Right now, they have to complete the formal investigation. They mm-hmm. then they have a call in to Michael Curry's people. He they're the ones who actually helped build the parade or this unit for the parade. And the notion is, okay, how long would it take to make the repairs? And they're saying realistically, it will probably be late summer to the fall before this returns. But again, that's conditional on Reedy Creek is now involved. They want a full review as to what happened. Disney has been using flame on its parade floats as mm-hmm. far back as 1998. I think the very first time they used it uh, was for a parade at uh, Disneyland Paris, where they had the Jafar as a Cobra float that would periodically blow flame. And then uh, 10 years later, it bowed in, what is it, California, DCA, with the Pixar Play Parade, where every so often on the Incredibles float, Jack-Jack's head bursts into flame. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, you know, again, it's it's not like this is something that Disney hasn't done before. It's just in this one instance. And again, after, you know, 1700 basically successful roles for the Magic Kingdom, this happened. Yeah. One of the real differences here was that because everybody in the world now has a camera on their cell phone, this was an incredibly well-documented fire. Whereas you go back through Disney history, I mean, you know, for example, the the fire at the Sequoia Lodge in 1996, they had to shut down that hotel at at Disneyland Paris for seven, eight months because they lost the roof of the place and a number of the rooms got damaged by fire and water. But again, nobody had phones to document that. And Len, to be honest, the, the one thing I wish that somebody had gotten a picture of was that six months after Pirates of the Caribbean opened in Disneyland, they -hmm. actually did have a fire in that attraction, only it was the two drunk guys. When you get into the scene where the the city is burning and there's the two two guys sort of rocking back and forth on a light post with bottles, and one of those guys caught on fire because it was in the room where everything else was on fire. Nobody knew. It was finally when one of the cast members of the exit was like, do you smell smoke? Finally went, <laughs> got on a boat and went through the ride and noticed that where there used to be two drunken AA figures, there was now one drunken AA figure and one horribly burned Terminator <laughs> you know, figure. And it was like, uh, we should probably close the ride for a while. All right, Jim. So the moral of the story is that there are the occasional fire at Disney theme park. My favorite Thing to take away from the Festival of Fantasy fire is this. Though, do you, did you see the one photo on Twitter of the cast member underneath the Maleficent dragon holding up a fire extinguisher to its head like he was doing battle with the with the dragon? It's if cast members could have baseball cards, you know, that said like, "This is what I do." It was the best photo I'd ever seen of like one brave cast member. I mean, it was a great photo. I mean, it's it Pulitzer quality. Well, I think it was fantastic. Did you see it? Uh, yes, but but if you also see the painted GIF where it's, you know, sort of two images side by side, and it, it's of the Pete's Dragon figure for the park parade float, it's like, I'm going to light this place up. And then they cut to the <laughs> Maleficent Dragon's like, here, hold my beer. <laughs> no, I missed that one. <laughs> I'm going to go find these images, and they're going to be my new Twitter backgrounds. Let's take a break while I do that, and we'll be right back. How's that? Sure. And we're back. All right, James. Uh, We mentioned a couple of weeks ago that 
there was an online auction happening for a bunch of Disney concept art that we had never seen before. And we had talked about one piece of Harper Goff's World Showcase art a couple of episodes back. Today, I want to talk a little bit more about some concept art for a Thames River attraction, also by Harper Goff. And by Thames River, I mean, this was supposed to be a massive sort of London scene. It's way, it looks to be way bigger from the concept art than the current UK pavilion that we have. You're looking at the art? Yes. Yes. Remember, this is Disney. This is forced perspective. Looks are deceiving. This is actually a boat ride where on both sides of the river, you're looking out at miniature recreations of London. Highly detailed miniatures recreations of London, but still miniatures. Oh, I didn't get that. For, okay, I didn't get that from the perspective, but now I see it. You're right, because the boats on this ride now look to be about the size of... Uh, the Houses of Parliament. Mm-hmm. So yeah, okay, the, the boats were bigger. So th- this was sort of like the canal boats in Disneyland, but with immensely more detail specific to London. When Epcot initially opened up, part of the problem was that it was being compared to the Magic Kingdom, which had all mm-hmm. of these wonderful ride shows and attractions. And in fact, it always kind of galls me when people, when they're picking on Universal Studios, will be like, oh, look, they did another film-based attraction and blah, 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 you know, that sort of thing, where it's like, if you're completely honest, Len, when Epcot opened in 82, especially at the back of the park in World Showcase, because again, you were going to individual countries or, or companies that were based within countries and asking them to build attractions. And they were like, you know, I just built the building. You're asking me to spend a lot of money. And so they defaulted to a lot of film-based attractions. In fact, interesting bunch of stats here. For the opening of Epcot, Disney shot over two and a half million feet of film. They had 16 different production groups going to 30 different countries in nearly every state in the United States. And the end result, when that park opened up, between O Canada and Impressions of France, as well as the end film portion of the Energy Pavilion and the film elements of adventure and all that, there was over mm-hmm. four hours of film wow. at Epcot. And so the Imagineers, as they moved into phase two, were like, we need rides. We really need rides back here. Mm-hmm. True. As early as 1976, if you go to the annual reports, they were going to do a Rhine River ride for the German pavilion, where very similar you know, idea lent that you'd be in a boat and you'd be looking out at miniature recreations of the Black Forest. And when the German sponsor backed away, they actually pivoted to, let's go to the UK. We've got this basically mapped out. They go to Harper and they say, look, can you take this idea and make it work for the UK. So we get the concept art that you see here. In order to keep costs down, you were going to be on the boat, but you were all gonna face in one direction. The scenery was only gonna be on one side of the boat. It's the German love of order that meant, <laughs> that meant you were you're all gonna face the same way. You're gonna face over here. <laughs> anyway, so what ends up happening is for the folks at the UK, They were like, I don't know if I want to do this. Where they were looking to do this was right out behind sort of that garden space. You can go back there and meet the Mary Poppins characters and and the Alice in Wonderland characters, that sort of thing. Right, back behind the maze, the far end. There we go. And so what ended up happening was the UK was like, no, we don't want to do a ride. We're just doing a show. So at one point, there was talk of building the Crystal Palace back there. 
I mean, when I say the Crystal Palace, I'm referring to the the Great Exposition of London was held, but this was going to be right. a place where you could see an English music hall show. And now the boat ride devolves over to Italy, where for a time it was like, okay, we can't do a full-size boat show at this point, but we can do a Venetian canal, you know, a gondola experience. And, right. you know, they were going to do some ruins of Rome and that sort of thing. I mean, it was just, it was fascinating to watch how the Lazy Susan worked at Epcot during this period. As late as October of 1981, when they're talking about the Japanese pavilion, mm-hmm. they're front and center about, we're going to have a show. We're going to have Meet the World. That thing was so going to happen that they actually built the show building land. I mean, in fact, the show building exists today out behind the pavilion. It's been fascinating for me to watch just over the past week or so the the info that's been bubbling up about the new restaurant that's supposedly going to be built at Japan. And it's like, gee, I wonder where they're going to put that. Where do they have a giant space that hasn't been used since 1982? We all knew it was sort of going in the first floor of the Mitsukoshi mm-hmm. department store, sort of in the in the back where they used to sell sake mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think you and I actually talked about this late last year, Yeah, that when the refurbishment was happening, that that was the most likely indication. All right. So getting back to the Thames River ride, mm-hmm. it does look like you're hitting all of the highlights of London here. You start off at an entrance, and I think if I'm reading this correctly, the name of the riverboat thing is the Mary Rose? In much the same way as the boats at Disneyland, the canal boats. It used to be named after like Katrina from Sleepy Hollow, and it eventually got changed to Belle Ariel, that sort of thing. The the Mary Ah. Rose. They were going with historic English craft. All right. (laughs) Just just, just make make a paint not to get on the Mary Celeste, though. That could be bad. So you get in your boat, and it does look like sort of a, a covered jungle cruise boat. Mm-hmm. You sail under the London Bridge, past some Charles Dickensian villages. I'm look, trying to look at the landmarks here that you go through. And this, the, uh, the path that the boat takes looks like two side-by-side figure eights where you stay on the outside of the eights the entire time. I think you're, you go through Trafalgar Square. I think I see the Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm that you pass by in the upper right-hand corner. Can you recognize any of these other buildings? I see Big Ben. Again, they were trying for the classic mix of English countryside. I, I want to say at one point you float by the theater at Stratford-on-Avon. It was, was kind of trying to do the the Heinz 57, just sort of hit as many pieces of architecture that people who were coming to the Disney parks could know. In the latter phase of this attraction, a lot of these were going to come online in phase two for Epcot. So we're talking 83, 84, 85. And this is when they were getting the initial survey results back and people were complaining about the lack of Disney characters. Okay. For example, for the German hmm. pavilion, they were like, at, at one point it's like, well, can, can we put Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in the Black Forest? And it's like, okay. And I remember once getting the chance to chat with, with Harper and it was this... He was talking about working on this where he said it was very interesting that once Mr. Eisner came through the door, it was just sort of like there were so many Disney films that were set in London or England. Suddenly it's like, well, can we work in Mr. Toad? Can we work in Mary Poppins? Can we work in Alice in Wonderland? At one point it was like, can we get in Sherwood Forest? And it's like, no. It's one small country. We've got 12 others. It's funny that you mentioned the Eisner era Mm because the second piece of concept art. The one that's titled Landmark Vista, mm-hmm. Victoria Memorial, Buckingham Palace, St. James Palace. Mm-hmm. That is dated 
1986 yep. by Harper Goff. Mm -hmm. And in this, you can see the size of the attraction relative to everything else. So you see a boat crammed full of people and you can see the size of the buildings relative to the size of the people in the boat. And these look larger to me, Jim, than the miniatures that you see in the storybook canal boats. These look like not, if not full size, very close to full size attractions here. What's what's going on here? Because we, we all know that the UK pavilion isn't big to hold everything that we see in this postcard scene here. This was the Michael Eisner era and you were gonna have to pay for these things. And so when you finally get to the full size building, that's where you, the exit is and that's where the gift shop is. Ah, okay. I'm surprised that uh, nobody considered it for a hotel. No, I remember talking with Harper that they weren't really happy with what they were getting for the retail response for the UK pavilion, largely because there's nothing about those buildings. They're lovely to look at. Yeah, but there's nothing that pulls you into them. That's right? it, exactly. So that's what they were hoping, was to create this boat ride experience that would dump you out into the space where you could take a lot of these very same products and position them in the, and then sell them. When I got back from my first trip to the UK, mm -hmm. I had become addicted to these shortbread cookies called Jammy Dodgers ah. that you can only find in the UK. And the thing is, mm -hmm. they're cheap cookies. Mm -hmm. They are like 60 pence, and I would get them whenever I would get off of a railroad or a, a, a subway stop or a metro stop. I would pop into a shop, grab a couple sleeves of these cookies, and then you know eat one that night, and then eat one the next morning for breakfast with tea. So I, I kind of got used to it over the you know the several months that I spent mm -hmm. in the UK, and I I, can't, I found them once in the UK shop in Epcot, but mm -hmm. instead of being 60 pence, which is like a dollar. They were $5. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I understand that there's an import tax for things, but I, uh, you can find them in Publix now for $2.50 a sleeve. And I think the availability, especially in Central Florida, the availability of decent quality British goods, I'm talking about the British candy bars, traditional British foods, you can find those cheaper in Publix now than you can in the UK Pavilion. I think that's also part of the problem that they have there. Oh, no doubt. No By doubt. the way, the uh, if anyone is interested in finding the Jimmy Dodgers with cream, mm. they are much better than just the regular Jimmy Dodgers. You can eat an entire sleeve in one sitting. But back to the concept art here, Jim. Mm -hmm. The third piece of concept art labeled 1A, which is, I guess, a close-up of the entrance area. Again, this, this is, looks to be a fairly large thing here. The sign on it says... See London and the Thames by riverboat. Mm -hmm. If you look at the size of the riverboat and the size of the London Tower behind it and the uh, the London Bridge, they look to be nearly full scale. The same thing also is in the uh, the next slide, which is uh, the Lock Tenders House, Paddington Canal at the Incline Railway. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in London. I don't remember actually any of these things. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'm not going to the right places in London. What am I, well, what am I missing here, Jim? Harper, when he was, uh, he and I talked about this project, he said the problem was that it went through so many different iterations. In fact, you know, that, to my knowledge, there's only the one piece with the date on it, the 1986. He was talking about there was one iteration of this that was a little too close to Small World, that was like, no, 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 we have to go back. We have to be more realistic. This is Epcot. We can't do the stylized version. So they crept up the scale of the buildings. They got heavier into the detail. There were at least two different versions of this ride where one had an onboard narrator in, in the style of the Jungle Cruise. 
And then there was another where it was just as you made it into show scenes, there would be narration that would come within the boat, not spieled to you, but sort of in that weird mix that you get with the great movie ride. Yeah. At this point, you're talking 1986. It was like the notion of, well, who do we get to narrate this? And the Imagineering is like, is Sebastian Cabot dead? It's like, well, yes, he's been dead for a while, guys. So it's like, ah, damn. This would be great. Benny so, Hill. You know. Benny Hill is always the answer. <laughs> that would have been fantastic. You know, I, I do see in the last piece of concept art, mm-hmm. the one named Thames Six, mm-hmm. that there's a narrator standing in the front of the boat. There you guess, go. Yelling back. But mm-hmm. the thing that I don't understand about this is it's 1986. Yep. Harper Goff already understands the size of Epcot. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at these pieces of concept art. And by the way, they are incredibly detailed mm-hmm. and beautiful. These things sold for just under $4,000. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the month, I totally understand why. This is really good Disney artwork. But the scale of this is so incomprehensible to me mm-hmm. that I don't understand how it would ever fit in World Showcase, let alone in Epcot. Okay, let me say two words to you. World Showplace. Where World Showplace stands today between the UK and Canada mm-hmm. didn't exist previously. Oh, okay. The area behind it, okay. There we go. Right. So if you look at, for example, when they were going to do the music hall and do the Crystal Palace-inspired structure, I mean, this was going to be a huge thing, Len. At one point in the late 80s, early 90s, when it was decided, okay, we're not going to do this, but Epcot clearly has a kid issue, they mm-hmm. were going to have an ornamental garden attraction that actually built between the UK and Canada, where if you wanted this sort of hedge maze construct but as you you made the turns in five different spots in this hedge maze would be characters from from disney films that were set in the uk alice in wonderland mary poppins and this was going to be where you could have your character encounter oh between the alice stuff and the peter pan stuff and the mary poppins stuff is lady in the tramp in uh no is that in new york um where's lady in the tramp is? it's the united states turn of the century okay. i think it's middle america if I, I remember walt correctly all right fair enough okay but not england all right yeah. i was wrong mm-hmm. huh all right well this is super interesting concept art we'll talk a little bit more about some other stuff that we found i'm particularly interested in talking in a future show about the blimp ride from the Discovery Island <laughs> concept art. That looks terrifying and also super fun. Yes. But why don't we wrap up this show, James, mm-hmm. on our next show, we're going to talk a little bit about construction permits for hotels, new hotels coming to Disney World, and also some uh, interesting PhotoPass stuff, right? There we go. We'll get to that on the next show. All right, folks, you've been listening to the Disney Dish with Jim Hill. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Please go on to iTunes or Stitcher or grab some newspaper from your fish and chips and write on it a review of our show and what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.